This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade, and welcome everyone to Energy Matters, a radio show where helping you save money, use technology, and to be more sustainable. As always, we've got a room full of experts. Uh, My co-host, the former state representative John Noel here, Casey Boyce, a frequent guest, senior product director for market strategies, and Allie Kelly, executive director for The Ray. Welcome, Allie. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your leadership in our state. You know, I think finally back to when Liz Coyle and Ashton Bailey originally introduced me to Harriet and the whole vision that you guys had around that 18-mile stretch of highway down in West Georgia and being involved in the Racy Anderson project and helping it move forward has just been a real highlight for my time on the Public Service Commission. So it's uh, it's exciting uh, to, to have you in the studio. What's going on with the Ray right now? I know we're going to walk through some of the projects, but you've got a lot of stuff happening, a lot of moving parts. I think one of the coolest things that we're doing right now is working with Georgia Power and Georgia DOT and the Federal Highway Administration to build a megawatt of solar on the empty right-of-way land on either side of the interstate. So all of that vegetated land that is largely dormant, is largely underutilized we're going to take four and a half acres, and Georgia Power is going to install 2,600 high-efficiency solar panels. And Georgia DOT and the Federal Highway Administration win on day one of the project because their obligation to continue mowing and maintaining that property goes away as hmm. it transfers over to Georgia Power for a 35-year period. We'll be, we'll be the third state in the nation to pilot the utilization of interstate land uh, to try to better leverage that property for renewable energy. Um, and then also the Ray has been working with UT Austin's Energy Institute to look at every mile of land on either side of the federal interstate system in all 50 states and try to help other state DOTs to understand what's their potential for installing solar on the right-of-way, how much revenue might that create for them. Solar solar's cool uh, along the roadway. That's actually kind of interesting. But roadways being named after someone or being called a section of something, highway and bridge naming happens routinely in the legislature. So what's so special about the Ray C. Anderson Foundation and the Ray that has taken your involvement in this to an unprecedented level. I mean, why, why, why the Ray? Well, it's really Ray Anderson and his family. Ray was the founder and CEO of Interface, pioneered corporate sustainability principles around the circular economy in the 1990s. He passed away in 2011. Oh, sadly. It was very sudden and very mm. jarring. And what his daughters, Harriet and Marianne, didn't realize is that the vast majority of their father's personal wealth created a family foundation. Harriet worked with Governor Deal and the Georgia General Assembly in 2014 to name a highway, and you're absolutely right. 
The Racy Anderson Memorial Highway overlaps with the Pearl Harbor Memorial Highway. It backs Been like up every to the Alan Jackson, which right, backs right. up to Gladys Knight. But y'all Knight done something special. Because there's a family foundation willing to support Harriet Anderson Langford, Ray's daughter, when she looked at the sign on the highway and said, you put the greenest industrialist name on a dirty highway and you only have one choice and that's to clean it up. Nice. So her family came in with the foundation and has created an endowment that funds the work of the Ray. And we have in turn created a relationship with Georgia DOT and the feds, US DOT and Fed Highway, um, where we can leverage that philanthropy, we can leverage our private sector resources to bring other private sector uh, partners and actors to the table. Um, we work with advanced tech firms around the world to make technology happen on that 18-mile stretch of Interstate 85. So instead of just talking about it, like advanced mobility, smart cars, highway of the future, we're actually building it. We build infrastructure using a public-private philanthropic partnership, or a P4, and we're one of only two entities in the entire country that is building future-forward, safer, more sustainable transportation infrastructure. uh, Future-forward is what that's huge solar panel on a big pole next to an EV charger right. says to me when I plugged in my electric car down there, and then to get to it, I rolled over a piece of road that was a road made out of solar panels. So yeah, That's let's right. let's talk about that. I mean, your your rest stop there in uh, in West Point on northbound eighty five, just the other side of the Alabama line, is really kind of your showcase. Some of the things that, that John was talking about. Can you take us through sure. the detail of some of those projects? Yeah, I mean, we think that one of our main roles to play at the Ray is to help socialize technology because the disruption and transportation like is happening so fast. Most of the driving, general driving public doesn't realize how quickly um, advanced mobility, autonomous driverless cars, how quickly all of this is coming at them. And so it's our job to help put technology in the way of normal drivers so that they can see it and experience it. And that means that the visitor center that the state of Georgia owns and operates right at the Georgia-Alabama state line is a perfect HQ for the Ray because people are stopping. It's hundreds of thousands of drivers every year are coming directly off of the Ray, directly off of the interstate, and they are walking around, they are taking a break at the visitor center, and there we have the first solar pavement in the United States. It's a 50 it square so meter cool. section. So, so wait, hold on. what is solar pavement? Can you help our listeners understand like what that is? Sure. Well, I mean, it's um, it's a concept that's been around for five years or so. There's an American version. There's a French version. Now there's a ripped off Chinese version. Um, we worked with the French company Colos who has been working in France for 100 years paving traditional roadways, but Colos did something innovative with the French government, and they made solar pavement, which is called Wattway. Um, It goes on to the existing infrastructure, so you don't have to tear up your road. You don't have to wait till you you build a new one. It adheres to the existing roadway. It armors the existing pavement. It's traditional silicon solar cells, so the patent is not the solar collectors. Mm -hmm. The patent is the framework, the cradle that protects those traditional solar cells from cracking under the Mm -hmm. weight of 18-wheelers. What what other cool technologies can you tell us about? Because I... I tried one behind the visitor center, and I was like, 
I didn't know my right rear tire was lower, yeah. and that's costing me. Explain how that works. Yeah, two years ago, we opened up the only public tire safety station in the world on the Ray. Right. So in Georgia, we hosted the first, and at the time, the only tire safety station uh, made by a UK company called Wheelwright. You never leave your car. You drive through at a slow rate of speed. It's just like being at Chick-fil-A, except at the end, you don't get fries and nuggets. You get you a complete that. tire readout. <laughs> I like <laughs> A complete tire uh, analysis of your tire health, which includes your tire pressure depth. and your tire tread depth. Right. It'll work on any vehicle except for a motorcycle. So when when you're thinking about this equipment, you should be thinking about school buses. You should be thinking about metro transit buses or freight vehicles. Um, and it'll also seamlessly integrate into a, a near future world where we've got large autonomous fleets right. that are providing mobility as a service. This is the next 10 to 15 years we'll start to see this. Um, mobility as a service option take over the majority of vehicle miles traveled in the United States. And, you know, those autonomous vehicles and those huge fleets that are operating every day, all day, are still going to need to get a battery charge, a battery change out, and a tire check. And that's what this piece of so, equipment does. So help me out a little bit. Maybe I'm just being dense here because. Like, I get that you want to make sure that your tires are, you don't want to be driving around on a flat tire. But this show's about helping people save money and be more sustainable. What does tire inflation have to do with that? Everything. Well, first of all, if you have underinflated tires or bald tires, you're driving, um, in a, you're driving as a danger to yourself and a danger to others. Um, there are uh, hundreds of deaths that are directly related to tire failure in the United States every year. Tire failure makes other accident types worse. And more dangerous and life-threatening. Um, in the United States alone, every year, we're wasting two billion, with a B, two billion gallons of gas. We're just wasting it. We're pouring it out. From low tires. Because our tires aren't right. properly maintained. It right. is the height of wastefulness. And So when your tire's low, your tire's fat along the road, and it creates more resistance. But when your tire's pressurized properly, then it's smaller I'm, I'm thinking that then the footprint's going down the road. Is that it's, about right? It's all about your fuel economy. Yeah. Your fuel economy is best when your tires are properly maintained to specification, and that um, that is the same for tire tread as well. So the takeaway is is pay attention to those round things right. that cover your wheels. Right. And as you're listening this morning, uh, turn over and pull pull over and, and check your tire pressure. And our, our station, our wheel right on the way, has actually improved since we've had it. In the last two years, the company came to the Ray and installed an additional set of cameras to begin monitoring sidewalls. So tire sidewall damage is now something that the system on the Ray is looking for. And we're the only tire safety station in the world that pr provides that trifecta or triumvirate. Behind that welcome station. In That's right. Range. It is a cool thing. And if you haven't had a chance uh, to our listeners to, as you come back up from Alabama, uh, to stop into that West Point rest stop, you should do it. It's a, it's a showcase, really. And uh, the entire Ray is a living laboratory. We're going to talk more about that in the next segment. I want us to get into the race future, Allie, in the next segment and talk about this EV caravan that we did down to the Ray Day, the possibilities for that. I want us to, to look at some other projects that may be developed along the Ray and talk about collaboration 
and talk about those pollinators uh, and how difficult it was at the commission really to get this one megawatt solar project done. You're listening to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles, your host. Stay tuned for more talk about how you can save money, use technology, and to live a more sustainable lifestyle. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. John, one of our sponsors for the show, Row Insulating Company, is doing a great job in and around Athens being able to do a lot of what we talk about every single week on the show. Every time it gets cold, every time it gets hot, it's always always that attic that's the problem. And uh, you can tack windows, and that's going to cost you a cold fortune. It is insulation that can solve the problem. Hey, if you want to get this fixed, call 706-795-2854. That's 706-795-2854. Row Insulating Company. Row. Welcome back to Energy Matters. This is a radio show to help you save money, use technology, and to be more sustainable. In the studio with me, John Noel, former state representative, owner of Energy and Environment, Casey Boyce, the senior product director, frequent guest um, with Market Strategies, and Allie Kelly, the executive director for The Ray. Support for Energy Matters comes from Arnold, Golden, and Gregory. For nearly seven decades, Arnold, Golden, and Gregory LLP has established a strong record of helping growing enterprises become industry leaders. Today, their team of attorneys who practice in more than 25 areas of law continue to expand AGG's reputation for helping public and private companies successfully grow their businesses. AGG is committed to standing on the leading edge of new developments that affect our clients' industries and business strategies. They are ready to help a new generation of emerging companies achieve success. We appreciate their weekly support of Energy Matters. John, you and I went on that uh, EV caravan down from Atlanta with State Patrol escorts. Oh, some serious fun. To the Ray Day at Serenby, uh, actually where Allie lives. And it was a cool thing, and you had a, a neat experience. You were with Clark Howard. You got to see that cool Hannah Solar trailer, all the different exhibits, the Ferris wheel, the food. I mean, it was That was a, even before I got in the tent. It was a great day. They have, folks, if you can imagine, the most amazingly large tent. This is just, just I'll let Allie explain it, but it is a real treat. It's an annual celebration of sustainability and our community remembering Ray and what he did through Interface and what he did through the books that he wrote and all the speeches that he gave and really just enjoying um, family fun and community on the farm on a beautiful afternoon in October. It's Aaron being for and South uh, Fulton County. Um, what I really what I like about it and I know a lot of nonprofits uh, and, and and some for-profits in the right space are appreciate is your willingness to open up essentially two-thirds of that venue for them to put booths and talk about, you know, join the Chattahoochee Riverkeeper, join these various Mm -hmm. environmental groups and these various entities that are trying to do good, or the Butterfly Association of Georgia, whatever it is. I didn't know it was Butterfly Association (laughs) of Georgia, but I do now, and I've I've got some butterfly, you know, some plants. that These things are wonderful, and they're brought to us, thousands of people, because of the generosity of the Racy Anderson Foundation, 
I got a chance, I'll just editorially say, to meet Ray one time, and I was awed. And the guy got, and you know, I knew he was a big shot. And then we're standing in a valet line, and he gets in his Prius. Yeah. I mean, this is Racy Andrew. Yeah, he traded his Bentley for a Prius. Um, <laughs> I love it. It's, I mean, he is uh, such a great example of walking the walk. And he, uh, he, he really risked his company because he thought that he could do well financially and he could do good by the planet and his family and future generations um, by trying to be more efficient within his company's business, which was a really dirty business. I mean, making carpet from oh, from oil. Come on now. Yep. And he was the first to figure out how to recycle it out of landfills. And now he'll take, the company will take any carpet. They'll take Mohawk carpet or Shaw carpet. They warehouse it. They make new carpet out of it. And their next mission is to weave carpet from carbon that they sequester from the atmosphere, so carbon carpet. It sounds like I missed a good party with the Ray Day and the EV caravan. Oh, is that something that's going to happen again this year that l- listeners can join and that I can join? Oh, yeah. The 20th of October. It's the third Sunday in every October. So put it on your calendar. It's All a right. free event. There's something for everyone, adults, children, advocates. Did, um, did I hear free? Did you say free? All of it's free, Ooh. and we will be... Um, second annual EV caravan from the Georgia Power headquarters in downtown Atlanta, driving with our friends at the Georgia State Highway Patrol, um, about 25 miles from Georgia Power down to Sarah. If you ever want to be in a motorcade, this is your opportunity. If you have an electric car, come on down. (laughs) Sounds like fun. I'll look forward to joining it. So, Allie, you talked a little bit earlier about some of the cool projects that you've been doing on the Ray. What do you have on the horizon? What are you going to be doing over the next couple of years? Yeah, I think what we're doing that's most important is showing that infrastructure can be smarter and not just better leveraged, not just more productive. There is a lot of things that we can do to, to unlock more productivity and thus more economic value and revenue out of our existing assets. But I want to put that aside for a minute and just challenge this idea that infrastructure will never be better. What do you that mean infrastructure by will never be smart. Well, I mean, we're seeing our cars get smarter and smarter with every year. And, you know, we're seeing in Phoenix... Um, the deployment, the public deployment by Waymo of their driverless fleets with right. no human operator. This yeah. is happening right now. Yeah. And there's just not a lot of conversation about the infrastructure side of this. In fact, the OEMs, the automakers are designing their smart cars with no expectation that the infrastructure will be smart and will be able to coordinate with the cars. We at the Ray just completely disagree with that. Um, and you know, we believe that the only path to fully realizing the benefits to safety, to efficiency, to congestion relief, the only path to fully realize all of this promise around advanced mobility is to have smarter infrastructure working with smart cars. And so there's a lot that we're doing in the connected car space and in the autonomous vehicle space. And ultimately, we're trying to create an 18-mile corridor where the speed limit is 70. So it's a high-speed corridor. It's mixed fleet, which means we've got freight vehicles and passenger vehicles. And it's totally open to the public. There's nearly 12 million travelers every year on the Ray. And we're trying to create that 18-mile space as a proving ground, as a testing area for driverless, a testing area for 
for platooning and freight vehicles. Platooning. We want to attract companies say? to come platooning. with their freight vehicles that yeah. have the onboard equipment and can utilize the infrastructure that's in the pavement to line up the freight vehicles oh. very closely together, one after the other, Safely. for safety and yeah. for efficiency, because they right. basically draft right. um, one truck to another, so they get efficiencies in their fuel economy, um, speed efficiencies, and it's safer because they are traveling so closely together that it eliminates the possibility for weaving by other drivers. So they basically tag up as if they were a train huh. of freight vehicles on the roadway. And we know two companies that are currently on the way with massive manufacturing and distribution operations. These companies have platoon-ready freight vehicles already, but they're not operating them anywhere. They're not running their The vehicles are there, but they need the infrastructure. Right. So we're going to serve up the infrastructure so that Waymo and Drive AI and can Tesla sell the government and entities to let can, it be legal. can come and, and do their driverless, no human operator testing on the Ray at 70 miles per hour. And so that companies, you can imagine the big ones I'm talking about that are moving a lot of goods and services around the country and they have platoon ready freight. Let's put them on the Ray. I like it. I mean, I, I I think I think there's going to be an evolution in transportation. Elon Musk is sure betting on it, and Ford is apparently not. Uh, so if you watch all these old dinosaur companies, the GMs, the well, GMs starting to move, but Ford and some of these other guys, their stocks are tanking. Things are going down, and the more innovative companies, the electric car companies, are really moving. And I think that's uh, that's happening. A lot of people are saying that within a few years we're going to have. People don't need to buy cars anymore. They'll be leasing them because they'll just, you know, call up as we leave the radio station. We'll call up a car to come get us to take us back home. And let's be clear and let's be careful. No one has a crystal ball, so there's no way of saying this is what's going to happen when. However, we are all aligned on a couple of basic facts. Advanced mobility is happening. Bingo. We're watching it, right. and it is happening as quickly or more quickly than what occurred 100 years ago when we went from the horse and buggy, horse and carriage, to the Ford vehicle in a 10-year period. Mm -hmm. So we're reliving another disruption in transportation in real time. And the other fact that is indisputable is that all smart cars are electric. Yep. So we are going through a disruption or a transformation, not only in terms of how we get around. Is it single car ownership? Mm. Is it Alley driving on the Ray anymore? Or is it Alley participating in a in a autonomous large scale fleet called Mobility as a Service? It's probably becoming less about Alley and her car and more about mobility as a service. And all of those smart cars, all of those driverless autonomous vehicles are electric. So we're gonna be cleaner. We are going to be safer on the roadways, and we are going to have so much more efficiency because Allie driving her own car, that car sits in a garage 90% of the time. There's nothing less efficient than single-car ownership. Ladies and, so and gentlemen, you're listening to Allie Kelly, Executive Director of the Racy Anderson Foundation, talking about the Ray. And if this is the transformative a section of roadway in Georgia that has, uh, well, it's the only in the country, right? Am I, am I right? We are the only one that is organized as a public-private philanthropic partnership. Our sister is in Colorado. Mm. Colorado DOT has a DOT program called RoadX. And so we have a partnership 
with Rodex where we trade technology. Rodex actually just got the wheel right. So kudos to uh, Rodex and Colorado wheel right, wheel DOT right. for bringing wheel? the wheel right tire safety station okay. out to the mountain region okay. and making the mountain region safer. Well, in our next segment, we're going to continue talking about the Ray. But before we do, I want to tease tease this, uh, Allie, when you guys were over in Europe visiting some of these sites to get some of this technology. I had been over there for a com- conference. I went with Frequent Thyra Miles, by the way, if you're wondering. The state did not pay for this trip. <laughs> uh, so I used my Delta Miles. But I joined you all in London, and we went down to the uh, to the south of uh, the, the, the U.K. there, and, uh, and we saw a pollinator field uh, there with solar. And that was uh, the first one I had seen and kind of gave us a little vision for what could be on the Ray. But we also had a surprise, didn't we, with our host as we were riding in his Range Rover. Uh, and, uh, and, and he began to talk about his family. Uh, <laughs> and, and when we come back, I guess, you know, this will be the only time that we probably ever get into the royal family uh, on this show. But we'll talk about our accidental stumbling uh, into Buckingham Palace. Uh, So you're listening to Energy Matters, and uh, I'm your host, Tim Eccles. Stay tuned for more great conversation with Allie Kelly about the Ray and the Racy Anderson Foundation and the great highway project that they're doing down in western Georgia. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Sterling Planet. Welcome back to Energy Matters. Uh, we're here with KC Boyce, Senior Product Director of Market Strategies, and Allie Kelly, Executive Director of the Ray C. Anderson Foundation, talking about the Ray. We were about to get into a great uh, story, but before the story, now a message from our sponsors. Uh, support for Energy Matters comes from Sterling Planet. Sonny and Alden and all the folks at Sterling Planet want to help you meet your environmental and business goals with renewable energy. From understanding RECs or renewable energy credits to an carbon offset plan to innovative white tags, energy efficiency certificates, they can help you navigate the corporate green energy world. See more at sterlingplanet.com. They are some great folks down there. They sure are. Well, I was just teasing uh, in the episode uh, or segment before this one about the trip to Europe. I was over there speaking on behalf of Georgia and our nuclear energy plants. I was at a, a conference in Brussels. I took the train over Alley and then met you guys, and we connected and began the delegation, you, Harriet, Alan Anderson, and we began you know, traveling around the U.K. and then back over to, uh, to the Netherlands looking at various projects. But while we were looking at that, at that solar pollinator array, 
we had kind of a shock, right? We were we, we met this guy, Harry. He took us to a, a little pub for lunch. And then as we're driving to the array, he mentions making an error on Facebook and how it had impacted his family. And I remember you saying in the back seat, what family? Take it from there. Yeah, it turns out that he had made a joke on Facebook and the royal family became quite upset about his innocent joke because Harry is married to Camilla Parker Bowles's daughter. Oh. And they are quite close with all the, the family, I'm yeah, sure. They're in the Christmas yeah. with picture. The bu- with yeah. the Buckingham the entire Buckingham Palace crew. Um oh, and God. it was just never expected, never mentioned you could have hit both the commissioner and I over the head with a feather and we would have fallen out of the Range Rover because (laughs) it was unbelievable that someone who was on the cutting edge of the best solar in the UK and really gold standard solar in the world. I mean, they're building some of the best leveraged solar facilities in the world and you know he was wearing a cardigan and and a you know dirty pair of pants and the car was modest and there was dog fur everywhere and oh then you come to find out that he was going to Buckingham Palace that weekend and it was just it was amazing and he gave us some of that royal honey in the honeycomb and it was so big that we had to buy that suitcase at the train station just to be able to accommodate our honey well enough about the royal family in Buckingham Palace Uh, we are going to be doing solar in the right-of-way on the ray and it will have pollinator flowers instead of turf grass in between each row and that's kind of exciting because uh, we haven't had anything like that in Georgia up to that point. I think President Carter is doing some of that on his arrays down in Plains, but certainly the uniqueness of your project at Exit 14 on DOT right-of-way land is certainly going, going to be something other states will be looking at. Yeah, there's this is really a win-win-win-win situation, something that Ray would have been proud of. Um, everybody wins. The utility wins because their maintenance is greatly reduced, and that not only means a maintenance savings for the solar veg- array vegetation, but it also means that the risk of damaging the panels through regular mowing with heavy equipment, you know, the heavy equipment clipping the panels, causing damage, that whole risk profile is um, reduced and revolutionized simply because of the decision that you make on the front end about what kind of plants that you are installing in the array. Um, low-growing plants, they're, they're not going to get up and they have above really, the They have robust root systems that grow far deeper into the soil than turf grass. Turf grass grows four inches. Native pollinator plants, on average, are four feet of root depth, so you get resilience. How many acres is this going to be? Four and a half acres um, wow. is what ours will be, but we're really trying to... Um, help the southeast realize the benefits of pollinator friendly solar in all scenarios not just on the roadside but when you hear about 200 megawatts here or 100 megawatts there what i hear is a thousand acres here or 500 acres there and that's hundreds of acres of habitat for bees 
butterflies and some birds that pollinate our food supply. So if you like blueberries, if you like peaches, if you like almonds, if you like avocados, so much, even the wind-pollinated species that we rely on farming here in Georgia, cotton, soybeans, are better producers when there are wild pollinators in the area. And so when when we're building large-scale solar in rural parts of the state adjacent to farming, every single acre should be pollinator-friendly because there is not a single drawback that I could identify. So, Allie, I I hear from a reliable source that despite the pollinators being really, as you say, a win-win-win kind of situation, it was not an easy thing to do, that you guys had to work hard to make that happen. Tell us a little bit about that and and how you approached it. I mean, this is still new in the United States, right? I mean, Harry and others in the UK and in Germany and, and overseas have been doing this for 20 years or more. Um, We in the United States have just started um, groups like Fresh Energy, Rob Davis, are really trying to um, advocate for pollinator-friendly solar in areas like Minnesota and Maryland. And we have the responsibility in the southeast, this agrarian um, hotbed um, in Georgia and our surrounding agricultural states to recognize and start to execute what is the right decision. You're for on to ground. a talking point there. That's right. I mean, here we are an agrarian society. We ought to be advocating for well, yeah. more pollinating plants I, to help those farmers' crops produce. We could spend the entire radio program talking about the benefits of renewable energy, but the benefit that I'm talking about is an agricultural benefit. It crosses outside of the energy sector, and it benefits ag- it. it benefits agriculture culture because small farms win with the call the farm bureau let's get the farm bureau on you know my my brother uh you know grows hay down in mcdonough georgia we have a family farm down there my granddad purchased in 1942 and i was riding around the farm with my dad in his little kubota and, and with my brother and we were talking about their hay operation and we went over to a part of the clover hay field that they have uh, they have various different types but uh, he talked about the lack of, of bees and butterflies, and he needs that within his clover hay operation. And so he was given an amen to the fact that we do need more pollinator plants. We need more bees. We need more butterflies. So any anything we can do to enhance this is helpful. That's exactly right. I want to switch gears just a second in our in our remaining time to talk about Really, your approach to public policy and, and lobbying and an effective, really effective outreach to public officials, Allie. And I really hold you and Harriet and your organization up as a, as a gold standard as I think about uh, the importance of, of reaching out in a kind way and having a long view, taking time to build relationships, not demanding things, uh, giving an official like me time to digest things in, in the sense of understanding it, waiting, uh, waiting on the right time. All of those things are so important to me. And I, we're in such a time in our country when people have very, uh, very short fuses they've got a temper they don't want to wait they want things instantly and that just goes counter to i think the way that that effective lobbying should be done tell us a little bit about about the approach that 
you guys have, have taken, and I'm assuming it, that it's very deliberate. I mean, it starts with Ray Anderson. You know, he uh, he was an engineer. He was a businessman. He was extremely competitive, which is how he was able to create a billion-dollar global dominance um, in carpet tile. He was a free from, market capitalist. He, he, so he was, he was that he, marriage of free market capitalist with environmentalist. You don't understand. He never took a vacation. They would go on vacation and he would scout high rises under construction and he would go work when they were supposedly on vacation at the beach. He never stopped competing. And when he began to consider the unintended but real environmental impact of his business, he became convinced that he could have his cake and eat it too. And the way that he said it was doing well by doing good. He was not a tree hugger. He knew that he would find marginal efficiencies and marginal competitiveness that would make all the difference for Interface. And when we had the Great Recession, Interface stock was one of the few that was constant, that was healthy, um, that was not, that did not succumb to the economic downturn because he was, his company was resilient. His company had recognized its inefficiencies and it had closed the loop. And he Stuff never we all need to do. he never made yeah. it about you have to do you have to choose. You didn't right. have to choose between doing well financially or doing the right thing by the planet. And I think that's how we operate at the Ray. You don't have to choose Republican or Democrat. You don't yeah. have to choose. Yeah. So is that how you engage in the public policy conversation? I mean, I'm really interested in hearing, you know, what what you did kind of effectively to engage Tim and his colleagues on that. So, I mean, I think the first thing that we did is we came in with humility and said, we don't know what we don't know, but we want to be on this journey with you. We want to take your pain points. We want to take your inefficiencies, your waste. We want to take your uh, your aversion to risk, and we want to be a solution. We want to help to solve your specific problems, and we want to come in with our resources, and we want to help prepare Georgia for the changes in advanced mobility and put Georgia in a leadership position. And that's what we've done, I think, so far at the Ray and intend to do going into the future. And you've done it well. And I can't wait to see all of the great things that come out of that living laboratory. Where you're listening to Energy Matters, I'm Tim Eccles, your host. And stay tuned for our final segment as we bring in James Marlowe with Radiant Solar. And we talk about how you can do solar on your home or your business. We want to help you save money, to use technology, and to live a more sustainable life. You've heard about Jim Cars on Energy Matters, made by Polaris in Anaheim, California. These street-legal, small electric vehicles go where golf carts are not allowed. Equipped with seatbelts, headlights, optional doors, and a tag, Jim Cars and Trucks are perfect for shuttles, corporate, or college campus use. In fact, Georgia Tech has over 100 of them. The new generation Jims have many options when selecting the battery type, onboard chargers, and enclosures to suit the climate. Go to GemCarservice.com to find out more. That's G-E-M-CarService.com. Hey, it's Commissioner Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters. I want to tell you about Kevin Rowe and Rowe Insulating Company. If you need insulation anywhere within 60 miles of Athens, Georgia, you need to call 706-795-2854. It's important, isn't it, John? It is the most important thing you can do in your house. It's the low-hanging fruit of everything that we talk about on Energy Matters every single week. That's exactly right. Yeah, call 706-795-2854. That's 706-795-2854. Rowe Insulating Company. Get comfortable. 
and welcome back to the last segment on today's program of Energy Matters. We're a radio show to help you save money, use technology, and to live a more sustainable life. As always, my host, co-host John Noel, former state representative, is with me. Casey Boyce is here, the senior product director for Market Strategies. And hopping into our guest chair, James Marlowe, founder of Radiant Solar. Welcome, James. It's great to be here, Tim. James John, thank you, Marlo. Casey. Yeah, James, we were just talking to Allie about the fact that you don't have to agree with everything uh, you know, about a person or an official uh, or a cause to be able to make great progress. And I, I have to think that solar is a perfect example of that because the folks at the Georgia Solar Association, you in particular, I mean, you ran for Congress as, you know, uh, and, and you're a Democrat. You have... My man. Yeah, you've, you have learned to speak Republican and you talked your colleagues into speaking Republican. And as a result... And the collaboration that you guys have really fostered has advanced solar in a remarkable way. Tell us about that story. Well, I got into solar because I've always believed in technology. My career has been as a 30-year-plus technology marketer in software and personal computing and then digital with Yahoo and IBM and Lotus Development. But as a candidate for Congress, uh, one of the issues I cared deeply about was our energy policy and that if we don't have a, a better energy policy, we can't have national security, economic security, or environmental security. So the solar energy business uh, in 2007 was very, very early stage in Georgia. There were about four people trying to make a living doing it. Right. And now we have about 4,300 people that, like myself, make a living in the solar energy business. And there have been over $3 billion in investments in the state of Georgia and about $3 billion more in contract under process and we've had a lot of success in rural Georgia. We've had a lot of success in working with uh, the Department of Defense installations across the state, working with uh, utilities like Georgia Power and Green Power EMC and Walton EMC and many others. You had a leg up, in my opinion, getting into the solar business. You and I have known each other a long time here in the energy field because you came from the technology sector, as I recall, like an executive at Yahoo or something to that effect. How do you see now the integration of technology, big big data, big smart utility data, and solar, and then potentially batteries into the future. Well, it's all accelerating, and so we're going to see as we've worked for a long time to make solar commonplace in Georgia. And if you look at utility installations, we're there. That we're a top ten state in utility solar installations. What does that mean? Like so, in very large good. scale utility plants, uh, particularly in Southwest Georgia, there are just you know hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of acres of solar panels that most people have never seen and don't really know they're there. Uh, when people think about solar, they often think about residential solar, That's and right. there's very little residential solar in Georgia, or uh, even commercial solar. What so would we'll, you guess? Like, what's the energy mix? If you had a 100% of solar, what percent is residential, like my system on my house, and what's the South Georgia mega site? So it's about 92% oh large-scale utility, about 4% small and medium-sized okay. systems, and about 4% residential or small business. Wow. So we really are the minority. So, uh, James, wondering if you can give us just a kind of brief history of, of this smaller-scale solar market, both in Georgia and the U.S.? 
Well, when we started in 2007, we would do any size project anywhere. I can remember literally driving from Atlanta to South Georgia to talk to somebody about you a residential project. You quoted me project. my system. I remember that now. Yeah, you that's know, right. Any, anybody that would talk about solar, that's uh, right. schools, doing demonstration projects, we just wanted to do anything we could do yeah. because we had to demonstrate that solar worked you know, literally on habitat houses, it worked on billionaire estates, it worked for commercial, it worked for schools, it worked for municipals, and we've done that. We proved that it works, we proved that it lasts a long time, and that it's economically viable, and it's a good business decision to incorporate so, solar. So talk a little bit more about the economic viability, because we, we've had a guest on this this program that talked about how the utility-scale solar really fits into Georgia Power's business model, and, and that's kind of their preferred way of going. But you're saying it works really well for residents and for businesses. Talk a little bit more solar about Solar works for pocket calculators, all the way up to these giant utility-scale plants that cover a 1,000 acres. It's a very scalable technology. I tell people often it's like Legos. You can do it large or small or medium, and that it's easily expanded. Very it works cool. well on rooftops. It works well on ground-mounted systems. It works well on parking canopies, like at Mercedes-Benz. Uh, Atlanta Falcons Stadium. They've got a, a canopy there. And, and what are the project economics? Like, real real briefly and, and kind of simply, like, if I'm a business owner that's looking to put solar on my facility, what sort of payback period or what sort of return should I be expecting? You're going to typically see around a three- to seven-year payback for a commercial good. project. You're going to have additional depreciation. On a residential project, it's, it's about 10 years. So it's a little longer than you want due to the way the policies work in Georgia. But it is a long-term dividend-paying type of investment. And if it's properly engineered and properly installed, it's going to be a, a reliable asset typically for around 25 years. So yeah, it's a fixed yeah. asset, right? Yeah, for sure. So what kind of questions are you getting um, these days about solar? Well, it depends on the audience. If, if it's a utility, most of the work of Radiant Solar is with utilities and then with large commercial enterprises like Anheuser-Busch or Shaw Carpet. Um, questions we get are around the economics. Everybody wants to know what are the economics, what impact does it have on our facilities, does it hurt our roof, how does it work. Uh, we still do a lot of education. Solar is still new to the majority of people that we work with. Now, it is becoming much more commonplace with utilities and that you've seen uh, Georgia Power uh, has been a leader in utility-scale solar, as well as Walton and Green Power. And you've seen many, many of the EMCs across Georgia do a great job of rolling out solar. Radiance has also done – we've done work in 11 states. So we do work across well, – uh, particularly like South Carolina, we've done Florida, Tennessee projects all across the southeast. So talk about the little about the economic model of what it's like uh, for a rural area. You're from Lincolnton. You're from a small town in Georgia. Uh, so you're a hometown boy, so to speak. How do you how does that work for a farmer out in the out out in the country who wants to to uh, add solar because he's only making a few hundred dollars a year per acre farming, but he can make a thousand dollars an acre on a lease payment with a solar system or something to that effect. What's the math? How does so, that work So for one of the things I'm most proud of is solar's positive impact in rural Georgia. And rural Georgia isn't a crisis. We've got so many challenges in rural Georgia. But solar has been good for farmers that wanted to lease a portion of their land to diversify their income, to make it a constant monthly, uh, quarterly income stream for them in addition to the crops that they were using. If they're a processor, so if they're processing pecans or peanuts, uh, it's a really easy addition to their facilities. Um, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has some grants that have made the payback on agricultural projects you know, as low as two or three years. 
years. Whoa. So you see a very good economic incentive for agribusiness to participate. And you've also seen, you know, counties um, in rural areas benefit from the taxes paid on the equipment. So you've seen, you know, these large arrays might put $2 million uh, into the school system over a period of years that doesn't require any additional roads or water impact. So it's a, right. it's a very good asset. You don't have to send asset. those kids to, to school. Yes, that's right. And that economic stability is really huge for folks owning agricultural land. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when we got too much rain and all the crops were washed out, right? I mean, having that other income stream can be a really big thing for families that are farming. Well, in Georgia, if you've ever driven across uh, South Georgia, land is not our constraint. We have lots of available <laughs> land. Uh, it's flat. It's, it's of a modest cost. So it's been a great uh, platform for building solar projects, and people from all over the world have come here to invest in Georgia and to build these projects, creating jobs and economic development. So, James, um, we've talked about solar. A lot of folks are now talking about batteries. How do you see batteries changing solar? Ooh. Energy storage is a really exciting space. Oh, and, you're right. And a, and a quick analogy for a computer guy like me is it's a little bit like adding a hard drive to a personal computer. So That's that when, when personal computers were floppy disk drives, they weren't very powerful and they weren't very good business machines. So by adding this additional technology, you're going to see a lot more capability. You're going to see better economics. And that's going to happen over a period of about, you know, 60 months. So I'm, I'm not using years. So that wow. it's happening very rapidly. And that John drives a Tesla. So that yeah. same battery that's in that Tesla or a, a Nissan Leaf. It's um, juice in your house can be used in a home or it could be used in a business, um, you know, and, and it makes you more resilient. So, you know, I would love to see... What does that mean, resilient? Resilient means that if there's an ice storm and the power is knocked out, you've got a battery backup. So, like, if you were um, at hurricane um, events, you have gas stations that need to run cash registers and run pumps. Right now, most of them do not have backup generators, but if they could add a little solar and a little storage, they could be more reliable in those storm events. Bada bing, bada boom, and suddenly you're up and running during emergencies, not just generating revenue, but also helping the community be resilient. And so you can do that for your home. We were, we're actually taping a program uh, here, and uh, 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 I just noticed on the phone that I lost power at my house. Nobody at my house would have ever known it because the batteries kicked in. But that's that's resilience. And you have to deal with the noisy, messy generators, anything like that, right? Gener yeah. yeah. There is no generator. James, I was out in San Diego not too long ago uh, visiting with San Diego Gas and Electric, and their public service commission in California, public utility commission, they call it, mandated that utilities begin to experiment with batteries. And so San Diego Gas and Electric basically took about – 25 shipping containers they look like shipping containers and they took i think 40,000 bmw chemistry sets uh, that came out of i3s uh that were new uh, and they created uh, a, a battery array uh just to really test various things about it how long does it take to to to, to charge it uh, how long does it take to deploy it when should we deploy it how worn out are uh, are the batteries after X number of, of months and years. Uh, so we're still very new in this, aren't we, with batteries? It, it is a new technology, but it's happening happening really quickly in terms of um, its integration to these electric grids. The cost is coming down so rapidly that it's becoming economically viable. Ten years ago, 11 years ago, we started this. Solar was the most expensive way to make electricity, and now we're the cheapest. Wow. 
A lot of progress has been made. James, thanks for being on the show today. Great information. John, thank you. Casey, thank you. You've been listening to Energy Matters. Tune in every week. Thank you, Amber Henderson, our producer, and to Cox Media Group for hosting our show. You can always go to WGAUradio.com and download this program on demand. I'm Tim Eccles. Enjoy the rest of your day. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you.